0: Hi, we're Jeff and Ann Whiting. We've been married since August of 1992, and this is our story.
1: Well, after we'd been married for about three years, we decided we were going to try and start a family. Month after month, we were praying that God would bless us with a child, and it just didn't happen. We had years of fertility treatment. We cried out to God. We were really stressed. We were really sad. And we even had some anger.
0: I think that what's hard when you go through these types of situations, whatever the trial may be, is that you see others that are maybe being blessed, that you feel are being blessed, and that question of why, why them? And no matter what it is. And one why thing not I- us? That's right, <laughs> why not us? And we asked that question many, many times.
1: So after about eight years of trying To have children we were unsuccessful and we made the decision to try adoption we had no idea what we were going to do where we were going to go how it was going to happen and literally that next sunday at church i was approached by a friend wondering whether or not we had ever thought about adoption she let us know about a little girl that was going to be up for adoption and i met her and immediately fell in love and decided to go for it
0: As a husband, I know how bad my wife wanted this to happen for us and I wanted that as well. But I was also, um, had some reservations, didn't want her to get her hopes up. We'd been disappointed so much um, over the past number of years.
1: We did receive our foster care license on December 24th. So that was a major Christmas present for us. And literally two weeks later, we found out that we were chosen to be her parents.
0: So the state allowed her to be moved into our home on January 27, 2003, and we had to wait six months before we could go before the judge in order to have the adoption finalized. And finally, in the end of July, um, we went before the judge here in St. Clair County and made it official and Kayla became part of our home.
1: We had a final miracle that happened after her adoption. Three days after her adoption was final, we found out we were pregnant and that was a big deal for us obviously but you know god knew that kayla needed a home before our son could be part of our family
0: i think that the takeaway for me is to be the spiritual leader for our home and our family not just when it was ann and i as a husband and wife but then knowing that our story for the rest of their lives is to be able to point to that god's plan is so much different than our plan and that Kayla had to come into our life and, and then the rest of it was history because then Eric came and that couldn't happen in reverse order. So as a spiritual leader in the home, it's to always realize no matter if it's this situation, a financial situation, a job, whatever it is, how difficult it may be is to see that God's timing is totally different than our timing and that's what I've learned throughout that many years ago and I continue to trust and believe and have the faith in God's plan.
2: Well, good morning, Colony Woods. How are we doing today? Good. Great to see you. Glad you're here. Glad you're joining us online. And we're excited to continue our series called the Chronicles of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. Chapter one, and uh, thanks to Jeff and Ann sharing their story. We've known them since really the first couple of months of being here at Colonial Woods and part of their journey, but there were parts of that I hadn't heard before and so glad that they were willing to share that. Uh, First hour, we were surprised with a a guest um, that we were honored to have with us. Uh, Santa Claus was actually sitting back in the back corner Full garb. He's not here right there. He was busy this week. But anyway, he's over in that corner. And uh, I looked over and I said, oh, man, that's a great, you know, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I mean, full garb. Full garb was here. Now I look over, I see a twin. We got the same, t- we have the same sweater on. Man, great minds think like moose. I, I did. By the way, this is the sweater that a couple of years ago somebody came up and said, oh, I love your ugly sweater. I didn't know it was ugly, and it birthed this whole idea of Christmas sweater weekend, so. Well, listen, um, Jeff and Anne were telling a story about waiting and yearning for a child. Today, I want to talk about the, the waiting, the waiting, and it's not just waiting for a child, although for some of you, that might be a yearning that's in your heart. For some of you, you're waiting for the spouse that you, God is going to bring into your life, and godly man or a godly woman, or maybe some of you are waiting for God to provide the right house or maybe a career or a healing or whatever it is. And it's interesting, Galatians chapter 4, it says that in the fullness of time, that means at exactly the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law, which is all of us, that we might have the full rights, the full heir of, uh, as children of God. And I started thinking about that because of th- that fullness of time means in the right time. God, God showed up at the right time. And I don't think that's just a declaration of what did happen. I believe that's a proclamation of what will happen that god isn 't just the God who did show up in the past on time, but he 's the God who promises to show up at the right time in our lives and As I was thinking about that, I began to think about the stories of Christmas uh, as we 've been looking at them this year there 's the magi they were they were waiting they were yearning for God to bring an answer uh, to their heart 's cry for a deeper sense of significance in life and then then I think of Anna and Simeon. Now we didn't take a big look at them last week, but Anna was a prophetess. She was well over 80 years of age and she had been waiting for the Messiah and when Jesus came to the temple and was dedicated, uh, she celebrated because God answered the yearning of her heart. Simeon doesn't give us an age on Simeon, but he was, he was old enough that he knew he, he was coming toward the end of his life and God showed him and revealed to him who the Messiah would be. And so there's these yearnings, these achings that were happening in the first Christmas. And it's interesting, the story we're going to look at today is of Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had a heart yearning that they'd been waiting for. And it's found in Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah, who who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, I want you to see that phrase, okay? I want you to see it again. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. But, but they, they didn't have a child. But they were asking God for a healing. But they had a prodigal child. But they had, you fill in the, you fill in the blanks. Whatever your heart yearning is, fill it in with that. But I want you to see they were both upright. They both were following the Lord's commands. They were exactly where they were supposed to be. They were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And they were exactly in their walk with God where God wanted them to be. But, next phrase. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood and to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and will give him the name John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. Now why did he say that? Because he was gonna be a man of a covenant faith or a Nazarite faith. And those who took that Nazarite vow, Samson was another one in scripture, That was the rule and the regulation. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go out before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my well, wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, it's interesting because we get a little here, right? A little study of angels because Gabriel is the archangel who stands in the presence of the Lord. We see him throughout scripture several times, but he is the one who is in the presence of God. And it says, and now you will be silent and will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Now, I emphasized a couple of points here, and by the way, the story goes on. If you read the next couple of chapters, you actually get a lot of the blanks filled in, and we see the birth of John, we see the celebration. Elizabeth, by the way, is a cousin to Mary, and so Luke draws it all together to kind of see how the connection all takes place. You even see that after his birth, Zechariah has a prophetic word uttered by the Spirit of God where he praises God for the fulfillment of his promise to his people, sending a Savior, and of course his Son being able to be a part of that. But the reason I emphasize the passages that I emphasize is because um, I I will tell you this message was supposed to be three weeks ago. We we thought in the series it was going to fit a little differently and then some things came about. We weren't able to do it the way we wanted to do it. But So we'll just believe that today is the proper timing for this. But I'm struck by the fact that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, emphasizes something that, first of all, a story nobody else tells. Nobody tells the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. No other gospel does that. And under the the influence of the Holy Spirit, he utters the words where essentially, in triplet, he shares how right before God Elizabeth and Zechariah are before he gives that word, but their hearts were filled with disappointment. And it strikes me that just as the people were waiting for an answer and just as Simeon and Anna were waiting for an answer and just as the Magi were looking and waiting for an answer... Elizabeth and Zechariah had been waiting a long time for God to answer their heart cry. And I don't know if you've ever had to wait for anything or if you're in a waiting season. I'm going to dare say that all of you either have or are today. And by the way, if you haven't or you're not, you will because we all go through waiting periods in life where what our heart is yearning for hasn't come to pass and it's amazing how the enemy loves to accuse us when we're in the waiting season. The first accusation that I notice of the enemy is the fact as he basically says, you're just not good enough. You know, If you were better, if you were a better Christian, if you were a better believer, if you prayed more, if you believed more, if you had more faith, then, then God would answer the heart cry that you have. And I wanted you specifically to see what he says in this passage, because these are really individuals, at least to the testimony of Luke, the historian, and to the testimony of those around him, because that's what Luke does. As a historian, he gathers the evidence from all the other people in the eyes of everyone else. It's not like they could have done a whole lot better. They were living the way they were supposed to live. In fact, he was a priest. They're both from the right family. They're from the right heritage. They're living the right way. They have the right career, so to speak. They're doing everything right, and yet the enemy loves to whisper at us that if your heart is yearning for something and God hasn't shown up yet, well, that just means that you must not be good enough. And it doesn't matter how much in your brain you try to tell yourself that's not true. We hear that long enough, that whisper. The enemy loves to whisper, doesn't he? Whispered in the ears of Eve. Just kept whispering. And it's interesting, you tell a lie long enough, you start to believe it. You're just not good enough. Number two, second lie of the enemy is that God must be mad at you because God's mad at you that's why all this stuff is happening in your life and by the way Jesus actually spoke directly to that John chapter 9 John chapter 9 the disciples saw a guy who had been blind since birth and they said this because they were under the same assumption they said rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind neither this man nor his parents sinned Jesus said but this happens so that the work of God might be in display in his life. And it's, it's an automatic assumption. And in fact, you know what? It's a really dangerous teaching that's out there. You live right. If you do the right stuff, nothing bad will ever happen to you. You'll never go through hardship. And, and we don't even realize it, but sometimes when we, when we focus so much on that, we discourage those who are the Elizabeth and Zacharias in life who, man, I thought I was living right, and I thought I was serving the Lord, and God must be mad at me because why else would we be going through this there's a third lie of the enemy that he whispers at us when we're in the waiting season God just doesn't care about you because if God cared about you this wouldn't be happening by the way Jesus testifies to this in his own life because he went through a time of need in John chapter 11 if you remember the story a good friend of his, Lazarus, was ill. Now, if you actually study the story, everybody thinks the guy died because Jesus didn't respond quick enough. Actually, if you do the math in that passage, the guy would have died no matter what because Jesus was not yet on the way, but he died four days before Jesus got there, and he only delayed one day. So it's not like, like Jesus' delay really caused it. But we also know that Jesus could have just spoken the word. He did it with all kinds of individuals. He could have just spoken the word from where he was and the guy would have been healed. But Lazarus was ill. He was a good friend of his. And by the way, a good family that he loved as well. And when Jesus showed up and they showed him where Lazarus was laid, it says in chapter 11, verse 35, two two simple words that are powerful statements about how much God cares about you. It just simply says, Jesus wept. And if Jesus is the image of the Heavenly Father and Jesus wept, that means that the Heavenly Father actually cares. And in verse 36 it says this, oh, you see how he loved him. But verse 37 says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? There will always be some there will always be some who say that, you know what, if God really cared, couldn't he have kept this from happening? And it becomes a whisper of the enemy in the waiting period, and it discourages. And the last one that I notice in this passage is that maybe God just isn't paying attention, doesn't hear me. Have you ever wondered if God isn't listening to you? Because there's some really good people in Scripture that had to ask the same question notice what he says in verse 13 I just think this is under the inspiration of the spirit of God because listen what the angel Gabriel says to him do not be afraid your prayer has been heard I've been meditating on this story for the last couple of months and as I was reading down through this passage this week and I was putting together the, the concepts that I wanted to share this morning, when I saw those words from Gabriel, I, I just want to teach you a little bit something about how the Holy Spirit can work. I have found that the Holy Spirit tends to lead us um, and direct us directly proportional to the Scriptures that we have put into our heads. In other words, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will bring something to memory that you long ago had looked at and then will bring it back and applies it into your life. And I've just found that in my life. And so I was reading that passage, and I go, man, that that passage just sounds really familiar. Who who else did God say that to? And then I remembered it was Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. By the way, Daniel chapter 9, all throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel was a man who was highly esteemed, not by people, by God. The angel of the Lord, by the way, you know what his name was? Gabriel. Gabriel chapter 9 shows up and Daniel is now into his 80s, he's been in captivity for what, 65 plus years, he has been crying out to God. He's been waiting for God to deliver his people. And he begins to intercede on behalf of Israel, chapter 9 of Daniel. And, he, and it says Gabriel showed up and said, Hey Daniel, you who are highly esteemed by God, God's got an answer for you. Interesting, you get into chapter 10, he has another vision and he says, the moment you began to intercede the lord had an answer but i was detained by the prince of persia now i don't quote, i don't totally get the whole spiritual warfare thing that takes place in scripture i don't understand all the dynamics of it but but there was an answer that was immediately given and yet there was a delay to the answer to the prayer because there was this spiritual warfare that was taking place but can i just encourage you today i'm not saying that you're perfect i'm not saying that there couldn't be anything but but the enemy loves to confuse you and discourage you when you're in a waiting season and just simply say you're not good enough, God is mad at you, he doesn't care about you, and he probably doesn't even hear you. And sometimes we just have to wait. Why? Well, sometimes it's not God's plan and as much as we don't like it sometimes it is not the plan that God has in place for example it says in 1 John chapter 5 he says I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life by the way you don't have to wonder whether or not you have eternal life John says you can know that you have eternal life and this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we have asked of him and sometimes as much as I hate it, it, it it's not his plan but I believe God is sovereign which is not a bad answer it's, a, it's an answer that has grown in me and I believe that God keeps his promises and I believe that God is holy and I believe that God is good and I believe with all my heart that God loves me And as much as I may disagree when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In those moments, I try to trust. And I don't know why this is happening and I don't know why this isn't happening and I don't know why I'm waiting. But Lord, in the waiting, I'm going to trust you because I I just have to believe maybe this just isn't your plan and sometimes it's just not the right timing. I mean, had Elizabeth and Zechariah had John twenty years earlier, the timing wouldn't have been right for Jesus' arrival. And how many times in our life have we found that 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 had the Lord shown up any earlier we wouldn't have been ready and had he shown up any later we'd have been so discouraged that we would have given up but he shows up at the right time and there is something about in fact let me take let me show you this verse go go with me to chapter one luke chapter one just go down to verse 20 just look what it says there and now you will be silent until this happens and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their see it proper time Elizabeth wasn't even pregnant yet proper time some of you are here today hadn't planned on being here today this message was intended for several weeks ago got delayed and you feel like maybe I wrote this message because somebody in your family sent me a note and said you're going to be here today Can I just tell you, we'll never be fast enough, smart enough or clever enough to outtime and outposition what God does through His spirit. And sometimes he's got a different purpose. By the way, what's interesting about Zechariah's praise is that when God answers Zachariah's heart cry, he doesn't even begin by praising God for bringing him a son because he begins to realize that's not the biggest purpose in this whole thing. Going to chapter 1, pop down to verse 67. His father Zechariah, this is after John is born, he says, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. God is saving us right now. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This isn't his son John, this is Jesus salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You see the second thing there? He says, and by the way, I want to praise God because he's keeping his promise. The word covenant means a promise made by God that God himself bears witness to, so it's really a good promise. And he says, and oh, by the way, God keeps his promises, which means that God not only is fulfilling what he said he was going to do, but God kept his promise to us, and it only shows us his character even more. And then at the end of the praise, at the end of the song he says oh yeah and by the way I'm so excited because my son the son I didn't have gets to be a part of the purpose and the plan to fulfill what God always wanted to do man I how great is that that we get to be a part of this story And so if you're here this morning and you've ever been in a waiting series or you are in a waiting time in your life and you're discouraged and again, you're living, you're walking, you're praying, you're asking God, your heart is yearning, but there are four truths I want to leave us with this morning. Number one, there is a big difference between waiting in disappointment and discouragement and waiting in promise. Huge difference. Because it says the people were walking in darkness, Isaiah chapter eight. They were in distress. They were in hopelessness. But then it says, but there shall be no more gloom. He says, unto us a child is born. Can I just tell you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we never wait in hopelessness and we never wait in just despair and darkness. We wait in promise because God knows how to keep his promises. Number two, there is always Work to be done when you're in the waiting period. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they didn't have yet what their heart yearned for, but both of them well along in age. By the way, a little secret to the guys that are in this room, he said, "I am an old man, and my wife, well along in years." That's a, that's a tender way. Can I just That's how you diplomatically share those things. And yet, what did they do in the time of the waiting? They kept serving. They kept obeying. They kept living. And number three, God makes you a huge promise. He promises to always be with you in the waiting. Over and over, and over, and over. And if I'm going to be accurate scripturally, I've got to do that 365 more times. God promises, I will be with you. Turn to someone near you and just say, he promises he will be with you. Would you do that? Minister to someone next to you. He promises he'll be with you. And I'm just going to tell you that is the power of presence. It's the power of promise. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. There was a song several years ago that says, uh, He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. God isn't just in the victory, and God isn't just in the answer. God is in the waiting. And his presence today is promised just as much as it is in the fulfillment of your heart cry number four. Hold on. Because God tends to show up in the suddenly. I love this. Luke is so unique. Go to chapter 2, would you? Chapter 2, verse 12. Sorry, verse 13. Suddenly, say that with me, would you? Suddenly, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men in whom his favor rests. Luke is so unique. That word suddenly, it means unexpectedly, it means it means a quickly, spontaneously. 17 times in the New Testament that word is used. 14 of them are by Luke. By the way, going to Acts, also written by Luke. Acts chapter 2. People were praying. Jesus had ascended into heaven. They're calling out to God day and night. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying. Day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1. What? Suddenly... Paul's on a Damascus road, been persecuting believers, been taking their life. Suddenly. And the thing is, the suddenly is not the answer to a, a nine-month process of growth and birth in Elizabeth's womb or Mary's womb. It's not even a 400-year waiting period because Malachi Malachi said in the very last passage that I will turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children. And do you remember what the angel Gabriel said to to Zechariah? He will be in the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children. It's not even a 400-year prophecy. The prophecy began back in the Garden of Eden. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord spoke to them and said, your child is going to crush The head of the serpent. It's the very first gospel. It is 4,000 plus years old of human history. From the very beginning, God said yeah the enemy won in this moment and the enemy has you believe the enemy's lie in this moment but there is a day I will crush his head and it is fulfilled thousands of years later there is waiting 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 and then all of a sudden suddenly God shows up and if you're in a waiting period right now hold on because a suddenly is still coming And we've all had that happen. You wait at the license branch. Sorry, Secretary of State. And you're waiting and waiting. And then all of a sudden, your number gets called. It's like I won a raffle. I'm at Texas Roadhouse. Phil, the little buzzer goes off. I know a little humor there. I'm not trying to make fun of your waiting. It hurts to wait. But you're not waiting in hopelessness. And as we constantly are calling out to him, God tends to show up very suddenly. So hold on. Take courage. He's in the waiting. Father, there's some waiting periods that are here this morning, and I don't have to go through all the situations because, uh, frankly, we all know where we're waiting. And we want with everything in us to kind of take matters into our own hands, and it's so hard for us to wait for what you have for us. But, Father, um, and you know what? Sometimes the answer isn't what we thought it was going to be. but we trust you and we trust your character. And so Lord, we cling to you in the waiting and we hold on for the suddenly. Oh Lord, would you come quickly and bring the suddenly. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.